chapter six of washington and his comrades in arms by george wrong this librivox recording is in the public domain the first great british disaster john burgoyne in a measure a soldier of fortune was the younger son of an impoverished baronet but he had married the daughter of the powerful earl of derby and was well known in london society as a man of fashion and also as a man of letters whose plays had a certain vogue his will in which he describes himself as a humble christian who in spite of many faults had never forgotten god shows that he was serious-minded he sat in the house of commons for preston and though he used the language of a courtier and spoke of himself as lying at the king's feet to await his commands he was a whig the friend of fox and others whom the king regarded as his enemies one of his plays describes the difficulties of getting the english to join the army of george the third we have the smartly dressed recruit as a decoy to suggest an easy life in the army victory and glory are so certain that a tailor stands with his feet on the neck of the king of france the decks of captured ships swim with punch and are clotted with gold dust and happy soldiers play with diamonds as if they were marbles the senators of england says burgoyne care chiefly to make sure of good game laws for their own pleasure the worthless son of one of them who sets out on the long drive to his father's seat in the country spends an hour in yawning picking his teeth and damning his journey and when once on the way drives with such fury that the route is marked by yelping dogs broken-backed pigs and dismembered geese it was under this playwright and satirist who had some skill as a soldier that the british cause now received a blow from which it never recovered burgoyne had taken part in driving the americans from canada in seventeen seventy six and had spent the following winter in england using his influence to secure an independent command to his later undoing he succeeded it was he and not as had been expected general carleton who was appointed to lead the expedition of seventeen seventy seven from canada to the hudson burgoyne was given instructions so rigid as to be an insult to his intelligence he was to do one thing and only one thing to press forward to the hudson and meet howe at the same time lord george germain the minister responsible failed to instruct howe to advance up the hudson to meet burgoyne burgoyne had a genuine belief in the wisdom of this strategy but he had no power to vary it to meet changing circumstances and this was one chief factor in his failure behold burgoyne then on the seventeenth of june embarking on lake champlain the army which ever since his arrival in canada on the sixth of may he had been preparing for this advance he had rather more than seven thousand men of whom nearly one-half were germans under the competent general redessel in the force of burgoyne we find the ominous presence of some hundreds of indian allies they had been attached to one side or the other in every war fought 
in those regions during the previous one hundred and fifty years in the war which ended in seventeen sixty three montcalm had used them and so had his opponent amherst the regiments from the new england and other colonies had fought in alliance with the painted and befeathered savages and had made no protest now either times had changed or there was something in a civil war which made the use of savages seem hideous one thing is certain amherst had held his savages in stern restraint and could say proudly that they had not committed a single outrage burgoyne was not so happy in nearly every war the professional soldier shows distrust if not contempt for civilian levies burgoyne had been in america before the day of bunker hill and knew a great deal about the country he thought the insurgents good enough fighters when protected by trees and stones and swampy ground but he thought too that they had no real knowledge of the science of war and could not fight a pitched battle he himself had not shown the prevision required by sound military knowledge if the british were going to abandon the advantage of sea-power and fight where they could not fall back on their fleet they needed to pay special attention to land transport this burgoyne had not done it was only a little more than a week before he reached lake champlain that he asked carleton to provide the four hundred horses and five hundred carts which he still needed and which were not easily secured in a sparsely settled country burgoyne lingered for three days at crown point half way down the lake then on the second of july he laid siege to fort ticonderoga once past this fort guarding the route to lake george he could easily reach the hudson in command at fort ticonderoga was general st clair with about thirty five hundred men he had long notice of the siege for the expedition of burgoyne had been the open talk of montreal and the surrounding country during many months he had built fort independence on the east shore of lake champlain and with a great expenditure of labor had sunk twenty-two piers across the lake and stretched in front of them a boom to protect the two forts but he had neglected to defend sugar hill in front of fort ticonderoga and commanding the american works it took only three or four days for the british to drag cannon to the top erect a battery and prepare to open fire on the fifth of july st clair had to face a bitter necessity he abandoned the untenable forts and retired southward to fort edward by way of the difficult green mountains the british took one hundred and twenty-eight guns these successes led the british to think that within a few days they would be in albany we have an amusing picture of the effect on george the third of the fall of fort ticonderoga the place had been much discussed it had been the first british fort to fall to the americans when the revolution began and carleton's failure to take it in the autumn of seventeen seventy six had been the cause of acute heart-burning in london now when the news of its fall reached england george the third burst into the queen's room with the glad cry i have beat them i have beat the americans washington's depression was not as great as the king's elation he had a better sense of values but he had intended that the fort should hold burgoyne and his fall was a disastrous blow 
the americans showed skill and good soldierly quality in the retreat from ticonderoga and burgoyne in following and harassing them was led into hard fighting in the woods the easier route by way of lake george was open but burgoyne hoped to destroy his enemy by direct pursuit through the forest it took him twenty days to hew his way twenty miles to the upper waters of the hudson near fort edward when there on the thirtieth of july he had communications open from the hudson to the st lawrence fortune seemed to smile on burgoyne he had taken many guns and he had proved the fighting quality of his men but his cheerful elation had in truth no sound basis never during the two and a half months of bitter struggle which followed was he able to advance more than twenty-five miles from fort edward the moment he needed transport by land he found himself almost helpless sometimes his men were without food and equipment because he had not the horses and carts to bring supplies from the head of water at fort anne or fort george a score of miles away sometimes he had no food to transport he was dependent on his communications for every form of supplies even hay had to be brought from canada since in the forest country there was little food for his horses the perennial problem for the british in all operations was this one of food the inland regions were too sparsely populated to make it possible for more than a few soldiers to live on local supplies the wheat for the bread of the british soldier his beef and his pork even the oats for his horse came for the most part from england at vast expense for transport which made fortunes for contractors it is said that the cost of a pound of salted meat delivered to burgoyne on the hudson was thirty shillings burgoyne had been told that the inhabitants needed only protection to make them openly loyal and had counted on them for supplies he found instead the great mass of the people hostile and he doubted the sincerity even of those who professed their loyalty after burgoyne had been a month at fort edward he was face to face with starvation if he advanced he lengthened his line to flank attack as it was he had difficulty in holding it against new englanders the most resolute of all his foes eager to assert by hard fighting if need be their right to hold the invaded territory which was claimed also by new york burgoyne's instructions forbade him to turn aside and strike them a heavy blow he must go on to meet howe who was not there to be met a being who could see the movements of men as we watch a game of chess might think that madness had seized the british leaders burgoyne on the upper hudson plunging forward resolutely to meet howe howe at sea sailing away as it might well seem to get as far from burgoyne as he could clinton in command at new york without instructions puzzled what to do and not hearing from his leader howe for six weeks at a time and across the sea a complacent minister germain who believed that he knew what to do in a scene three thousand miles away and had drawn up exact instructions as to the way of doing it and who was now eagerly awaiting news of the final triumph burgoyne did his best early in august he had to make a venturesome stroke to get sorely needed food some twenty-five miles east of the hudson at bennington in difficult country new england militia had gathered food and munitions and horses for transport the pressure of need 
clouded burgoyne's judgment to make a dash for bennington meant a long and dangerous march he was assured however that a surprise was possible and that in any case the country was full of friends only awaiting a little encouragement to come out openly on his side they were germans who lay on burgoyne's left and burgoyne sent colonel baum an efficient officer with five or six hundred men to attack the new englanders and bring in the supplies it was a stupid blunder to send germans among a people specially incensed against the use of these mercenaries there was no surprise many professing loyalists seemingly eager to take the oath of allegiance met and delayed baum when near bennington he found in front of him a force barring the way and had to make a carefully guarded camp for the night then five hundred men some of them the cheerful takers of, of the oath of allegiance slipped round to his rear and in the morning he was attacked from front and rear a hot fight followed which resulted in the complete defeat of the british baum was mortally wounded some of his men escaped into the woods the rest were killed or captured nor was this all burgoyne scenting danger had ordered five hundred more germans to reinforce baum they too were attacked and overwhelmed in all burgoyne lost some eight hundred men and four guns the american loss was seventy it shows the spirit of the time that for the sport of the soldiers british prisoners were tied together in pairs and driven by negroes at the tail of horses an american soldier described long after with regret for his own cruelty how he had taken a british prisoner who had had his left eye shot out and mounted him on a horse also without the left eye in derision at the captive's misfortune the british complained that quarter was refused in the fight for days tired stragglers after long wandering in the woods drifted into burgoyne's camp this was now near saratoga a name destined to be ominous in the history of the british army further misfortune now crowded upon burgoyne the general of that day had two favorite forms of attack one was to hold the enemy's front and throw out a column to march round the flank and attack his rear the method of howe at the brandywine the other method was to advance on the enemy by lines converging at a common centre this form of attack had proved most successful eighteen years earlier when the british had finally secured canada by bringing together at montreal three armies one from the east one from the west and one from the south now there was a similar plan of bringing together three british forces at or near albany on the hudson of clinton at new york and burgoyne we know the third force was under general st leger with some seventeen hundred men fully half of whom were indians he had gone up the st lawrence from montreal and was advancing from oswego on lake ontario to attack fort stanwix at the end of the road from the great lakes to the mohawk river after taking that stronghold he intended to go down the river valley to meet burgoyne near albany on the third of august st leger was before fort stanwix garrisoned by some seven hundred americans with him were two men deemed potent in that scene one of these was sir john johnson who had recently inherited the vast estate in the neighborhood of his father the great indian superintendent sir william johnson and was now in command of a regiment recruited from loyalists many of them fierce and embittered because of the seizure of their property the other leader was a famous chief of the mohawks 
Bayendanegia, or to give him his english name joseph brant half savage still but also half civilized and half educated because he had had a careful schooling and for a brief day had been courted by london fashion he exerted a formidable influence with his own people the indians were not however all on one side half of the six tribes of the iroquois were either neutral or in sympathy with the americans among the savages as among the civilized the war was a family quarrel in which brother fought brother most of the indians on the american side preserved indeed an outward neutrality there was no hostile population for them to plunder and the indian usually had no stomach for any other kind of warfare the allies of the british on the other hand had plenty of openings to their taste and they brought on the british cause an enduring discredit when st leger was before fort stanwix he heard that a force of eight hundred men led by a german settler named herkimer was coming up against him when it was at oriskany about six miles away st leger laid a trap he sent brant with some hundreds of indians and a few soldiers to be concealed in a marshy ravine which herkimer must cross when the american force was hemmed in by trees and marsh on the narrow causeway of logs running across the ravine the indians attacked with wild yells and murderous fire then followed a bloody hand-to-hand -hand fight tradition has been busy with its horrors men struggled in slime and blood and shouted curses and defiance improbable stories are told of pairs of skeletons found afterwards in the bog each with a bony hand which had driven a knife to the heart of the other in the end the british met by resolution so fierce drew back meanwhile a sortie from the american fort on their rear had a menacing success sir john johnson's camp was taken and sacked the two sides were at last glad to separate after the most bloody struggle in the whole war st leger's indians had had more than enough about a hundred had been killed and the rest were in a state of mutiny soon it was known that benedict arnold with a considerable force was pushing up the mohawk valley to relieve the american fort arnold knew how to deal with savages he took care that his friendly indians should come into contact with those of brant and tell lurid tales of utter disaster to burgoyne and of a great avenging army on the march to attack st leger the result was that st leger's indians broke out in riot and maddened themselves with stolen rum disorder affected even the soldiers the only thing for st leger to do was to get away he abandoned his guns and stores and harassed now by his former indian allies made his way to oswego and in the end reached montreal with a remnant of his force news of these things came to burgoyne just after the disaster at bennington since fort stanwix was in a country counted upon as loyalist at heart it was especially discouraging again to find that in the main the population was against the british during the war almost without exception loyalist opinion proved weak against the fierce determination of the american side it was partly a matter of organization the vigilance committees in each state made life well-nigh intolerable to suspected tories above all however the british had to bear the odium which attaches always to the invader we do not know what an american army would have done if with iroquois savages as allies it had made war in an english county 
we know what loathing a parallel situation aroused against the british army in america the indians it should be noted were not soldiers under british discipline but allies the chiefs regarded themselves as equals who must be consulted and not as enlisted to take orders from a british general in war as in politics nice balancing of merit or defect in an enemy would destroy the main purpose which is to defeat him each side exaggerates any weak point in the other in order to stimulate the fighting passions judgment is distorted the baroness rydesel the wife of one of burgoyne's generals who was in boston in seventeen seventy seven says that the people were all dressed alike in a peasant costume with a leather strap round the waist that they were of very low and insignificant stature and that only one in ten of them could read or write she pictures new englanders as tarring and feathering cultivated english ladies when educated people believed every evil of the enemy the ignorant had no restraint to their credulity new england had long regarded the native savages as a pest in seventeen seventy six new hampshire offered seventy pounds for each scalp of a hostile male indian and thirty-seven pounds and ten shillings for each scalp of a woman or a child under twelve years of age now it was reported that the british were offering bounties for american scalps benjamin franklin satirized british ignorance when he described whales leaping niagara falls and he did not expect to be taken seriously when at a later date he pictured george the third as gloating over the scalps of his subjects in america the seneca indians alone wrote franklin sent to the king many bales of scalps some bales were captured by the americans and they found the scalps of forty-three soldiers two hundred and ninety-seven farmers some of them burned alive and sixty-seven old people eighty-eight women a hundred and ninety-three boys two hundred and eleven girls twenty-nine infants and others unclassified exact figures bring conviction franklin was not wanting in exactness nor did he fail albeit it was unwittingly to intensify burning resentment of which we have echoes still burgoyne had to bear the odium of the outrages by indians it is amusing to us though it was hardly so to this kindly man to find these words put into his mouth by a colonial poet i will let loose the dogs of hell ten thousand indians who shall yell and foam and tear and grin and roar and drench their moccasins in gore i swear by st george and st paul i will exterminate you all such seed falling on soil prepared by the hate of war brought forth its deadly fruit the americans believed that there was no brutality from which british officers would shrink burgoyne had told his indian allies that they must not kill except in actual fighting and that there must be no slaughter of non-combatants and no scalping of any but the dead the warning delivered him into the hands of his enemies for it showed that he hath expected outrage members of the british house of commons were no whit behind the americans in attacking him burke amused the house by his satire on burgoyne's words my gentle lions my humane bears my tender-hearted hyenas go forth but i exhort you as you are christians and members of civilized society to take care not to hurt any man woman or child burke's great speech lasted for three and a half hours and sir george saville called it the greatest triumph of eloquence within memory british officers disliked their dirty greasy noisy allies 
and burgoyne found his use of savages with the feudal order to be merciful a potent factor in his defeat a horrifying incident had occurred while he was fighting his way to the hudson as the americans were preparing to leave fort edward some marauding indians saw a chance of plunder and outrage they burst into a house and carried off two ladies both of them british in sympathy mrs mcneil a cousin of one of burgoyne's chief officers general fraser and miss jeanie mccrae whose betrothed a mr jones and whose brother were serving with burgoyne in a short time mrs mcneil was handed over unhurt to burgoyne's advancing army miss mccrae was never again seen alive by her friends her body was found and a wyandot chief known as the panther showed her scalp as a trophy burgoyne would have been a poor creature had he not shown anger at such a crime even if committed against the enemy this crime however was committed against his own friends he pressed the charge against the chief and was prepared to hang him and only relaxed when it was urged that the execution would cause all his indians to leave him and to commit further outrages the incident was appealing in its tragedy and stirred the deep anger of the population of the surrounding country among whose descendants to this day the tradition of the abandoned brutality of the british keeps alive the old hatred at fort edward burgoyne now found that he could hardly move he was encumbered by an enormous baggage train his own effects filled it is said thirty wagons and this we can believe when we find that champagne was served at his table up almost to the day of final disaster the population was thoroughly roused against him his own instinct was to remain near the water route to canada and make sure of his communications on the other hand honor called him to go forward and not fail howe supposed to be advancing to meet him for a long time he waited and hesitated meanwhile he was having increasing difficulty in feeding his army and through sickness and desertion his numbers were declining by the thirteenth of september he had taken a decisive step he made a bridge of boats and moved his whole force across the river to saratoga now schuylerville this crossing of the river would result inevitably in cutting off his communications with lake george and ticonderoga after such a step he could not go back and he was moving forward into a dark unknown the american camp was at stillwater twelve miles farther down the river burgoyne sent messenger after messenger to get past the american lines and bring back news of howe not one of these unfortunate spies returned most of them were caught and ignominiously hanged one thing however burgoyne could do he could hazard a fight and on this he decided as the autumn was closing in burgoyne had no time to lose once his force was on the west bank of the hudson general lincoln cut off his communications with canada and was soon laying siege to ticonderoga the american army facing burgoyne was now commanded by general gates this englishman the godson of horace walpole had gained by successful intrigue powerful support in congress that body was always paying too much heed to local claims and jealousies and on the second of august it removed schuyler of new york because he was disliked by the soldiers from new england and gave the command to gates washington was far away manoeuvring to meet howe and he was never able to watch closely the campaign in the north gates indeed considered himself independent of washington and reported not to the commander-in-chief but direct to congress on the nineteenth of september burgoyne attacked gates in a strong entrenched position on bemis heights at stillwater there was a long and bitter fight but by evening burgoyne had not carried the main position and had lost more than five hundred men whom he could ill spare from his scanty numbers burgoyne's condition was now growing desperate american forces barred retreat to canada 
he must go back and meet both frontal and flank attacks or go forward or surrender to go forward now had most promise for at last howe had instructed clinton left in command at new york to move and clinton was making rapid progress up the hudson on the seventh of october burgoyne attacked again at stillwater this time he was decisively defeated a result due to the amazing energy in attack of benedict arnold who had been stripped of his command by an intrigue gates would not even speak to him and his lingering in the american camp was unwelcome yet as a volunteer arnold charged the british line madly and broke it burgoyne's best general fraser was killed in the fight burgoyne retired to saratoga and there at last faced the prospects of getting back to fort edward and to canada it may be that he could have cut his way through but this is doubtful without risk of destruction he could not move in any direction his enemies now outnumbered him nearly four to one his camp was swept by the american guns and his men were under arms night and day american sharpshooters stationed themselves at daybreak in trees about the british camp and any one who appeared in the open risked his life if a cap was held up in view instantly two or three balls would pass through it his horses were killed by rifle shots burgoyne had little food for his men and none for his horses his indians had long since gone off in dudgeon many of his canadian french slipped off homeward and so did the loyalists the german troops were naturally dispirited a british officer tells of the deadly homesickness of these poor men they would gather in groups of two dozen or so and mourn that they would never again see their native land they died a score at a time of no other disease than sickness for their homes they could have no pride in trying to save a lost cause burgoyne was surrounded and on the seventeenth of october he was obliged to surrender gates proposed to burgoyne hard terms surrender with no honors of war the british were to lay down their arms in their encampments and to march out without weapons of any kind burgoyne declared that rather than accept such terms he would fight still and take no quarter a shadow was falling on the path of gates the term of service of some of his men had expired the new englanders were determined to stay and see the end of burgoyne but a good many of the new york troops went off sickness too was increasing above all general clinton was advancing up the hudson british ships could come up freely as far as albany and in a few days clinton might make a formidable advance gates a timid man was in a hurry he therefore agreed that the british should march from their camp with the honors of war that the troops should be taken to new england and from there to england they must not serve again in north america during the war but there was nothing in the terms to prevent their serving in europe and relieving british regiments for service in america gates had the courtesy to keep his army where it could not see the laying down of arms by burgoyne's force about five thousand men of whom sixteen hundred were germans and only three thousand five hundred fit for duty surrendered to sixteen thousand americans burgoyne gave offence to german officers by saying in his report that he might have held out longer had all his troops been british this is probably true but the british met with only a just nemesis for using soldiers who had no call of duty to serve the army set out on its long march of two hundred miles to boston the late autumn weather was cold the army was badly clothed and fed and the discomfort of the weary route was increased by the bitter antagonism of the inhabitants they respected the regular british soldier but at the germans they shouted insults and the loyalists they despised as traitors the camp at the journey's end was on the ground at cambridge where two years earlier washington had trained his first army every day burgoyne expected to embark there was delay and at last he knew the reason congress repudiated the terms granted by gates a tangled dispute followed washington probably had no sympathy with the quibbling of congress but he had no desire to see this army return to europe and release there an army to serve in america 
burgoyne's force was never sent to england for nearly a year it lay at boston then it was marched to virginia the men suffered great hardships and the numbers fell by desertion and escape when peace came in seventeen eighty three there was no army to take back to england burgoyne's soldiers had been merged into the american people it may well be indeed that descendants of his beaten men have played an important part in building up the united states the irony of history is unconquerable End of chapter six